coming to get you, Barbara. The funeral ceremony is today. We found a lot of suspicious things out in that cemetery. Nothing's dead for seven years. And again, didn't find anything that based fact or suspicion on I'm Kevin. And I'm Kayla. We love movies. And talking about them. This is the Martini Window. Hey, hey, hey. On one of our first shows of October, the spooky season, we have the dollar recordist from Dragon Prince, Sausage Party, Halo, Bad Times at the El Royale. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Mr. Dylan Pittman. Dylan, thank you for coming to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. Oh, so I want you to uh, tell us a little about yourself. Been in and around the film, television, and gaming industry for the last decade or so, mostly in an audio capacity, usually doing dialogue, recording, editing, a little bit of sound effects here and there. And um, I've seen some pretty wacky shit. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like we're about to hear war stories. I I thought he was going to follow that up with something. (laughs) Oh, no, no, no. It's, 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 yeah, you got to lay out the line and then just see what bites. (laughs) (laughs) and then we burned down the foley studio that one time look i'm legally not allowed to talk about that bring that up and you have to contact my lawyers and most wb if i have to go through that story again (laughs) uh dylan here i actually knew from my days working on we're on arrow together wasn't it yep so that's where i started was my first first gig was arrow is probably within like an episode or two is when we met actually i feel like you're probably right about that we had uh, Justin on the show recently talking about Mrs. Doubtfire. I believe you and I actually met through him, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, we did. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Kayla, you two ever met? In person? I, like, I believe so, yeah. I, I believe so. I mean, we're all CW babies here who came up in the rise of PAs on CW shows. I'm sure there were crossovers at some point and other shows in Vancouver. Or I like just in life and stuff. You well, yes, in well, life I mean, and stuff. In a... life and stuff. We, we met each other at barbecues. I was more yeah. referring to work. Uh, in, a pro- in a professional capacity, I think we've only ever worked together on indie uh, ventures, not in a properly uh, accredited adventure. Yes, yeah, so I, I think our, our, um, our union adventures were very much adjacent, but I've always <laughs> like, known of you or had friends that have known you and talked about you so oh god oh man <laughs> that is a oh. <laughs> that is always a dangerous road to go down a bit of a loaded statement there <laughs> you never know so uh one thing that Kayla and I are doing right now this is uh our October Halloween movie crunch is the is the what we're calling it uh we are trying to get in as many horror movies this month as we can with our uh, you know within our need to sleep <laughs> overrated um, but continue no that, i agree you know uh, honestly i i'm with the with the strikes going on i'm feeling the nostalgia for lack of sleep right now yeah right what happened to being asleep for three hours and going to your next shift <laughs> three uh, hours three hours god i love a car- <laughs> I, god i love a car nap <laughs> um so today for the halloween movie crunch and uh, one of our first movies for october dylan you want to introduce for us and why you want to talk about this movie yes today we will be talking about drew goddard's 2011 i consider a smash hit i'm not versed in the actual uh quality of that uh cabin in the woods which is my personal all-time favorite uh spooky slash horror movie and that can be uh decisive for some people because some people don't consider it as horror centric as i feel it should be recognized as 
Yeah, I'm actually with you on that. You know, the day the movie came out, I was looking forward to this movie for a long time. I was looking forward to. Did you see this movie at the Eagles, Kayla? I did. You did. Okay, that's been that's good to know. I I was waiting for this movie for uh, four years, and I can I, I there's a reason for this. When I was in film school, we had a short film we were doing. We had this actor named Tyler. Tyler was on our short film, and he just told us, "Oh yeah, just like last week, I worked on this movie called Cabin in the Woods." I was playing Nosferatu, and surely enough, you can actually still find him in the IMDb credits, even though he never actually, I think, ended up in the final product. But he was playing Nosferatu in there. Uh, he told me, oh, it's Joss Whedon. And at this time, I've been going through my, like my twenty, my second or third binge of Firefly. <laughs> As you do. So, oh, yeah. As you do. Um, so very excitedly, uh, I, was, I was eager for it. It was supposed to come out the year after. That movie came out. Well, just under four and a half years later, because the studio went under, the distributor went under, MGM picked it up, the MGM lost it, the Lionsgate picked it up, uh, and I remember the date came out. After all that time, the trailers came out, people were like, wow, these, this movie looks really corny, it looks stupid, this, that. Uh, BloodyDisgusting.com, on day one, the instant headline was, Cabin in the Woods, an instant blood-soaked horror classic. That was their headline, right across five out of five skulls. And I agree with Dylan here because um, I do find a lot of this movie, the scares work as actual proper scares, which is not common with a lot of horror comedies, which I think you can kind of label this as. Definitely. The, it's the, I can't remember what I, it might've even been like an escapist article from 2011, which first like tuned me into it where it was like, it takes all of the, your favorite horror tropes that you can mock endlessly and then gives A, a reason for it, and B, turns it on its head and then hits you with it again, but makes it more effective. And it's such a fun way of deconstructing and also paying homage to all the best parts of horror and all the dumb parts of horror. There is a lot of dumb parts of horror. And I see oh that God, as somebody's so a big many. horror fan. <laughs> one, one personal take. I haven't heard other people have this opinion but i almost like even if it's not intentional i can see the allegories of commercialization of horror in this where they right. take the horror tropes so it's the commercialization of like how do we manufacture this how yeah. do we put this in like i i loved that concept and like i love backstory i love great world building it's one of my favorite things in cinema and I love that they found a reason for all of these horror tropes and basically just gave everything like such a new leaf. And even the fact that they had these experiments within the movie. Spoiler for this movie. I'm, I'm pretty sure we can spoil Cabin in the Woods on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I love that they even have it going on in like Japan and in other countries. Like Joss Whedon's world building makes this feel like a global thing with like very like accurate you know horror for those countries i i love that it doesn't feel like oh it's just the united states with this world ending tragedy yeah mm -hmm. and like to that point is if when you see in in the screens of them going around to like tokyo and i think it's beirut sure. and a few other places not only is oh. the footage like it's cctv oh. sure but it's it's shot in a way that feels like a horror movie is shot in those areas the japanese ones are very yeah. wide shot it's it's doing japanese a culture horror thing but also big thing for japanese horror is throwing kids into the mix because they just like to twist the knife and then you've got there are shots of i think um indonesia somewhere and it looks like it's looks straight up like a rubber monster movie smash-up flick and then the 
the there's a shaky cam one from somewhere in like Eastern Europe that's just like <laughs> a random dark forest with a camera bust on the ground. Like these little details that they throw in there are super fun. And you can there's blink in your miss it moments, but especially in like the elevator scene or in the 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 murder box um fade to black scene where you're just seeing every little tidbit, you can pause and sit there for twenty minutes and find a thousand and one cool little things to talk about. It's so well done. And oh. and the monsters are taken from obviously horror trips and cinema, but then there's some monsters where you're like, that was probably taken from folklore. Oh, like yeah. they've really added in so many so many monsters that even I think it was like the Russian one looked like the thing mm -hmm. when they were talking about the movies all around the world. It was had very very reminiscent energy to the thing. Yeah, which one are you referring to? Which one was that? It was one of the ones that had failed on screen. Oh, that had like the big fail going across it? It had the big fail going across it. It was like this in the middle of nowhere, and then it had like an explosion, and it was a very much like the thing. Huh. You know? Yeah, it kind of looked like the, 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 the flaming yeah. husk of like the remnants. Yeah, the flaming husk of Oh, like, like, yeah. like you're watching it. Yeah, I didn't catch that. That's so funny. Uh, yeah. Like, it, like it's right after the uh, the uh, Arctic area explosion. In yeah, it's one, of exactly. the, it's one of the failed. Right. Okay. Oh. Yeah. I did not notice that. One, the one thing I really love about that whole sequence, actually, and you are right, like, especially if you're a horror fan, like, I'm sitting here right now, I got my Michael Myers bobblehead on my desk, I got tech, I got a Leatherface, a stuffed Leatherface downstairs, Kayla has made, God, like, three or four uh, paintings for me, digital paintings for me, horror paintings for, like, Christmas and Valentine's Day and stuff. I'm a horror fan, to say the least. So, and I have a Cthulhu here. <laughs> we got, God representation. We got the puzzle box downstairs, Hellraiser, like, um, but what I'm saying, though, actually, we do a fun thing with that where I have people solve the puzzle box and we have those still two lights. Whenever they do that, I quickly turn all the lights to red. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. Oh, my God. All we need is a cursed doll, Val. Well, I think it was uh, Chris, uh, Chris was here, Chris Layton. Um, he was at our house and I gave him the puzzle box to solve and he, I, I gave him a couple joints for him. So, <laughs> and he was just like, when the lights went red, he didn't know that was going to happen. And holy fuck, he freaked out for like a quick second. Like, that was so funny. But as a horror fan, though, check out Chris Layton in the Simpsons podcast, by the way. Oh yeah, oh man, uh, yeah, that's gonna be coming up soon. Um, but as a horror fan, this this the Where's Waldo aspect of this whole movie is nuts. Like every, you know, those images you see online where it's like the longer you look at this image, the more messed up it gets. Yeah, yeah. that's it's like movie. that, but for horror. Yeah. <laughs> well, like in the in the in the scene where um uh Marty and Dana are going or no. Dana, is that the... Dana, Dana. Dana yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, Marty and Dana are going down in the elevator oh. and it, it does the pull out and you can see it start seeing all the boxes and you see like the ghosts and the the uh, the Purge family and the killer clowns, the ballerinas and all these things. If yeah. You, if you... Two boxes to the screen right and one below it, there's just a boomer from Left 4 Dead just vibing in the box. <laughs> He's just hanging out. like, And it's, it's just straight up, it's a source mod filmmaker copy paste boomer and that's fucking hilarious because <laughs> it's not in so any funny. other shots but yeah it was like because because if you look at the the imdb for this the the prosthetics the makeup part and all these monsters are as physical and practical effects as they could and then you've got the handful of cg ones that are really really well done and the handful yeah. of ones where they're just like it's in the background fuck it we'll just put a giant anaconda it'll be fine <laughs> but it still it still works and like and that's just, this is just the visual, the, the, the storytelling, the fact that they're like, oh, we're going to make sure we pull from every trope. 
Yeah. But like, I gotta, I gotta scream about the way that this is written from the ground up, from the first opening shot to the end of the movie, how everything ties together through the, the Whedon's like callbacks and call forwards. And it's just one point to another. You can see it coming. If you're paying enough attention where you can, you can start seeing the cracks, the cracks fill themselves back in, but they just get bigger and bigger as the movie goes on in the best way possible. Yeah. And like, what I, sorry. Uh, what what I really loved about this movie is every time I see a horror movie, like I've seen so many, you know, Friday the Thirteenth, where you have the teenage tropes, but when you actually have the kids get there after ignoring the harbinger, I love that they put in the harbinger. By the way, like, don't go up there. The the don't go up and bury your friend in the pet cemetery. Sometimes dead is better. <laughs> You know, they, they have that guy, but I love that they're not anything like the stereotypes and just part of the amusement is watching the people try and turn them into them by manipulating them with, you know, like gas and stuff like that in the house to make them become what yeah. they need to be for the ritual. Yeah. And then like the, the visual yeah. distinction as well as, as like the movie starts and everyone's like generic college kid other than like. The, you know, the, the pointed out hair dye and Marty looking like the most obvious stoner ever because you have to. But like the um, Kurt, who's the, the who becomes the the epitome of jock for this. He starts off. He's just a regular dude who like well, he's yeah, actually sure. an, he's actually an academic. Exactly. He's, and he's he's telling our principal character like, oh, don't read this book. Read these books instead. The teachers will be more susceptible to you. You'll get better answers. This one's kind of dumb. I have actual I'm a year or two ahead of you in this academic course. I'm here on school and you learn all these things. And as even up until like they're in the truck driving, all of a sudden he's, he's wearing like the Letterman jacket and he's being a bit more rough and tumble. And sure. You get to the point where they, they straight up points like, when do you call your friend an egghead? When are you all of a sudden a frat bro horn dog? Yeah. Like, like sure. It gets very apparent, but the subtlety of it happening, if you're not paying attention, you're just like, Oh, he just put on a jacket, but also his, the way he stands, his demeanor changes. And this is also, this is, it's Chris Hemsworth. You're expecting kind of a bigger jockier person, but he starts to film very smart, very calm, very collected, and then just becomes a raving degenerate, which yeah. is, it's fun to watch. And even, um, the guy who plays, uh, did it, did it, Holden, uh, the, the, the nerd, like, again, starts off totally normal at, academically, like, fit he catches the ball across the road he's he's upright he's got a nice like demeanor to him halfway through the party scene all of a sudden he's wearing glasses he's hunched he's small he can't fill a full sentence anymore he's becoming that academic the nerd quote unquote and it just it's so fun to watch everyone just spiral and then having the guys in the control room panic when it doesn't work exactly right because they're trying to facilitate to the uh the old gods or the the viewers and they po- very poignantly point out it's like we have to do this as tropey and as boring as possible because that's what people want i.e you, you do the slasher thing like you pointed out it's gotta it's gotta fit in this little box or else you're not gonna make the box office back because that's what people expect you do the outside outside the wall thing and it's just it's too much it's very and fun even the- and even the virgin was sleeping with her teacher in the beginning mm-hmm. of the film. Like she's not a virgin at all. No, but like they said, you gotta make, you gotta use what you got. And if they gotta fake it, they gotta fake it a little bit. And it's it's very it's, again it's it's poignant. It's fun. It's just a, it's a great way of unraveling, reraveling, and then going. Oh no, it's bigger than you ever thought. Also, giants end the movie. <laughs> <laughs> 
One of one of the things I also love is the betting scenes where they're betting on it, and you have the mm-hmm. different team saying, "We bet on zombies." It's like, no, we bet on zombie redneck murder family. Yeah, oh, you, like you, you've got, you've always got that one guy at a party, or your DM and D and D. Well, actually, technically, totally a different thing. <laughs> and it's like it's like okay but like seeing the board out and like the because the in the betting scene they have the whiteboard with all the, the creatures and then you see all the the creatures in the elevator scene later and you're kind of like connecting the dots and you can see little little trinkets of what could be especially when they're even when they're in the basement and you can see every one of those monsters is represented by some stupid trinket like you've got the uh uh the hellraiser style ball you've got the ballerina music box you've got the the conch so close to the mermaid i want to see that movie i'm i'm 100 percent on board with the rent the the uh the guy in the control room i want to see the mermaid mo- murder movie because that would be funny as shit <laughs> i personally love the little ballerina girl with like the hole in her face oh it's such a cool with design all of the teeth it's so creepy and cool but it's also like weird childlike innocence there's so many monsters you could geek out about this like i absolutely love the story but like this is a costume as wet dream to like oh, go yeah. into background and be like okay you're making a bunch of monsters what are we doing mm-hmm. i i when, when this came out and i i did the thing you know you, you know when you find that piece of media and you just kind of do a deep dive a little too hard and you just start finding like the lore that they ever used or the ideas they had and all this stuff that sounds really cool you sound like me literally after i watch any movie it's every <laughs> single time is wikipedia imdb reddit and then whatever other trinkets i could find he's like yeah, a you know, reddit rabbit hole it's it's a very I'm, I'm sure it's a very uncommon thing that no one else does but <laughs> but they they actually they the really cool thing is they put together little dossiers on every single monster that appears in those scenes and I think on the DVD extras, you can go through a handful of them. But they were like, oh, we're going to properly give a bit of lore and what the power set could do so that the animators and the visual guys could have an idea of what they were doing, be it with a stage direction for the actors. But more importantly, it ends up playing like an SCP where it's just like, I have this thing that is spooky. Um, it does this weird thing. It'll probably be in the back room. We'll never see it. But they, they put so much effort into it. But there's one and you can see... I think you can see it in the big pullout scene in one of the boxes. There is a little boy in like a schoolboy uniform. It's that classic, like antichrist looking like kid with the slick black hair. Damien. Yeah. No, it's a kid from the ring. And he had like the ring. No, Damien from the omen. No, but in the ring, I remember the small boy in the ring had abnormally like short shorts and he just looked very strange <laughs> proportionally. I think it was his costume. The shorts were just, Slightly short for Damien, though. But <laughs> I mean, like, it's 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 more of it's, it's just that creepy, trope. Like, yeah, in, it's that in a Japanese boy way. Yeah, it's it's that little schoolboy tr- thing. But like it, the 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 uh, the inspiration is Damien. It's like that little nod. But they had a little like tidbit write up for him. It was like what we want him to do in this thing. And I think his name, like they named him. His name is Tommy. What he does is he shows up and he just like walks around and is like general like st- like too too calm, too stoic little boy. What's he do? He locks eyes with somebody and all of their blood jumps a foot to the left and they die. Why 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 was that not in the movie? I want to see that cuz that's fucking hilarious. Oh my god. Yes, it's stuff yeah, like I, that. I have the Blu-ray for Cabin in the Woods. I got to go through these dossiers. Yeah, uh there it's the there's like not very long. There's little treats, like a couple sentences. Sometimes it's like it's yeah, a werewolf. It no, does dog stuff, that. but like oh, they're fun. Oh. It's just like that little level of detail. 
hilarious. Yeah. So again, like it's the 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 inspiration was from could have been from a hundred different things, but they've got this little boy that just shows up. He walks around very stoic, very calm, and he'll lock eyes with you, and all of your blood and your body just leaps a foot to the left, and you die horrifically. And that's funny as shit. And it should almost have its own movie or even a short i would want a short film like that that'd be great right. who wouldn't want that <laughs> where the the pseudo antichrist kid just makes all your fluid leaves <laughs> holy shit that'd be funny as hell honestly i just want an anthology series about every single one of these monsters that can be a 15 minute episode i don't care <laughs> just it's it'll be called the dossier files pitching this to whoever wants to fund it <laughs> If you like the Magnus Art guys, the right if you stuff. like SCP, we got a thing for you. <laughs> Hit us up. We, we got sound, we got a director, we got a writer. Here we go, guys. Come on. Give us some money. <laughs> oh, man. You know, you are, you were talking earlier about uh, jo- about when J- Joss Whedon's writing for this movie. And, I mean, uh, Joss Whedon has said himself that this movie is like, a, he calls it a love hate, a loving hate letter to work. And... Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's his own words that he called that. And I kind of have to wonder, like, he makes some decent points. I mean, looking at what Cabin in the Woods was saying about the old gods, you know, the viewers, uh, and what they do, if you don't do the same things over and over, I look back at some other movies that maybe since Cabin in the Woods came out, that I think kind of proved their point. Like, um, one movie I'm a particular defender of, and I absolutely will not be defending this right now, is (laughs) Halloween Ends. Hmm. Uh, did you see Halloween ends? Yes, I have. I'm guessing by that l- lack of reaction that you were not a fan. However, yeah. <laughs> yeah. it was fine. I didn't, I don't like, I'm not going to rip it apart, but I'm like, it wasn't like not a ton of staying power for me. But in any case, though, people lost their shit that this was a Halloween movie without having a focus on Michael Myers, even though Season of the Witch was fantastic. Mm-hmm. But again, even going back to that, Season of the Witch is why went, is why they uh, got scared and went back to Michael Myers. And that's exactly what this movie is also trying to explain, like the insatiable, the insatiable, repetitive nature of a lot of uh, a lot of not just horror fans, I think, but a lot of fans like we see it in the Star Wars genre, we in Star Wars franchise, we see it in marvel now and all that like it, the entitlement of fans i think is also really an underlying theme of a lot of what he's trying to talk about here in general i think it's- but yeah what i was basically trying to say with that is like it, it's to me it's a sort of an emphasis on fan entitlement and toxic fandom which of course we saw screen five do as well somewhere recently um but obviously this is in a much more metaphorical way with cabin in the woods it's a whole puzzle for horror fans i mean I, yeah i'm looking at the poster right now and I mean, even the poster is a freaking rubik's cube of cabin mm-hmm. <laughs> it's great so 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 one thing that I, I do really like is it's, you know, people want to see these tropes, but I think it's an almost psychological need to watch people get punished. Like the whore has to die first. The virgin has to die last. It's right. it's a lot of it's a lot of all bases for morality that somehow got caught up in horror tropes where the audience wants to see people punished for their sins. Yeah. Yeah, it comes into like, uh, yeah. there's a little bit of like a Revenge of the Nerd type thing where it's just like, oh, these are the cool partying kids. Fuck those guys. Get 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 shit on. Like, haha, yeah. they, the, the quote unquote outcast is out there fucking them up. Like that's that works and it, and it can serve a good purpose. And like a lot of recent horror movies to a degree, you know, have kind of skewed or done something a little different. Personally, I've always really liked horror movies that 
like get into your supernatural, your weird stuff and don't fully explain it or explain it in a really interesting way. Because at the end of the day, it's like horror movie slasher. Bad guy yeah. is sad. Kill the teenagers because they are young. Eh. This gets, takes that, puts it on its head, gets very involved with it. Um, what's another like, uh, oh crap. Why can't I think of what it is? Um, there was a horror movie few years ago it was very audio based it was super good up until the basement point and then i don't want to watch it anymore the fuck was it called ah shit <laughs> all i remember is the turkey baster um oh don't breathe that's the one. <laughs> oh my god i love i that, love 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 don't breathe don't breathe has such a such a cool concept it's a very interesting fun way to do it and then it got a little gross and that got better again because everything had to come up it's but like super cool concept super interesting idea taking the same basic idea of a general horror movie kind of putting it on its head a little bit and going for a different angle super interesting so like it does work and sometimes the fandom can just be wrong or the, the genre fa- uh genre them if you will is full of shit and sometimes they're right and sometimes you just gotta take a wild leap which is what this movie does i feel in an incredibly good way because they not only like you're having your classic horror trope you're having your conspiracy theory trope you've got a little bit of your internet horror scp thing going on you've got your uh you know your hollywood being like hey guys who watch these movies relax you're overthinking them too much like it's got all these little levels that are very very fun and i went through recently and rewatched it with someone who had never seen cabin in the woods before and who uh some pointly likes the idea of horror but not watching horror movies because they find them very dumb derivative or like they're doing the thing why are they splitting up this is stupid and this movie i told them cabin in the woods is great for that because i want you to do exactly that because within the next minute to five minutes you will be given an answer to why you think these things why you feel these things and they watched the whole movie and they were they were an instant fan it's a classic for them now they're so so happy with it and that's, I think, the beauty of this movie is it, it can turn a non-horror fan into a horror fan by just kind of making fun of itself in the best way. It feels very, like, gateway horror to me. Like, I would show this movie to someone who's not necessarily into, like, you know, all of the horror gore. But I could easily show them Cabin in the Woods without, you know, having, like, saw levels of anxiety when yeah. it comes to it, right? Yes. We do not do Saw for Baby's First Horror Movie. That's a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> no, for Baby's First Horror, we do Saw 3. <laughs> no, Baby, I think we go back with Baby's First Horror, which I think was a lot of ours, at least of our generations. Um, the original Willy Wonka's just the tunnel scene for 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> because that just fucked us all up for a little bit, a little bit too much. I almost learned that as a monologue for drama class. <laughs> Really? Really? I decided that they were like, that's a scene. I was a child and I'm like, I want to do the Willy Wonka scene in the in the tunnel. And my teacher was like, maybe you shouldn't. <laughs> you do just you sit have the, anything else. You just sit in the beside the light switch, flicking it on and off, monologuing at the class. That'd be funny. Oh my god. No one understood me. No one understood me. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a phase, mom. I just want to make chocolate and kill children. <laughs> And then I went into movies. I made a career out of that. So, <laughs> so here's a question for you: Did you know I that uh, the out. original ending for Cabin in the Woods was actually supposed to have them uh, actually preventing the apocalypse? Like the whole nihilistic ending of Cabin in the Woods was actually um, was actually reworked later in the film. Eh? Really? Yeah. 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 
that whole fucking ending of fuck the world uh completely was that was a that was a late entry the whole development what was the original ending uh okay in the original script the narrative was supposed to have a more traditional ending where the characters managed to save the day and prevent the apocalypse this would have followed a more typical horror of uh horror or adventure movie formula providing a resolution that reassures the audience so appeasing the exact audience so they don't destroy the world that's meta in its own way it is meta it in its is. own way but i prefer the fuck the world ending i i do too because like that the final conflict with the two of them where where she finally like she's like oh shit i can save everybody and she thinks about yeah, killing no. marty and marty's just like dude what the fuck we literally like realize this is the dumbest shit why are you doing this and then that, that final set where they're just sitting there smoking that last joint it's like man that's fucking wild can you imagine if <laughs> if you killed me yeah that would have sucked anyways the world's gonna end all right let's go <laughs> Like that's that's a good way to end this movie because like honestly Marty's the I I think Marty's the unsung hero of this entire movie. I would dude, be unsung. Dude's <laughs> just vibing hard. Dude knows what's up, man. He's he's a lot smarter than he looks. Like it's hilarious to me the fool in this movie. Like everybody's essentially the opposite of what they're being forced to be mm-hmm. uh, for the purposes of the of the ritual. But in Marty's case, especially the fool is hands down the most like on the ball person here. Well, I to get a little weird in a different sense. If you think about, um, if you think about Tarot, the Arcana of the Fool, the zero card, the start of the adventure, the 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 empty void. Yes, it means like the empty-headed, the the blissfully unaware, the start of the journey. But also, the Fool becomes the world at the end of the the, the hero's journey, having going through gone through all the trials and tribulations, meeting the magician, seeing the strengths of the world, meeting the great evils and the great goods witnessing death and seeing the rebirth of everything. It becomes the world at the end where it is so omnipotently aware of everything going on that it makes the right choice makes the last, the last call that last call being, yo, there's a fucking werewolf. Nah, fuck this. She can figure it out herself. And just watching the world end, rebirthing the whole system. Him being the fool is weirdly poignant in a totally probably unintentional way, only for those people who are super weird into cards. But it's it's still it works. The thing is, it works really really well because it it all fits in this weird dynamic that's very fun. Especially you know the dude's high the whole time. You get the 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 the, the, the whole puppeteer monologue that gets interrupted because pop tarts is the funniest fucking thing in the world. It's great. It's just, it's just you, good. Uh, okay, so you, you just cut out after the word puppeteer monologue, mm. and you came back on pop tarts. No, that was it. That was exactly. I, I literally did that purposely. <laughs> that was he does the because that's that's how it happens. The thing he's doing the whole puppeteer mo- monologue. He's talking about like we're all just puppets on strings. Nothing matters. And then Dana p- points yeah. out, "Is like what yeah. the fuck are you talking about? Puppeteers, pop tarts." Just like his brain yeah. shuts off and turns things away. Because the dude is high as fuck, but still knows what's going on. It's like being a BC kid all over again. (laughs) (laughs) I've I've also found that in a lot of like tarot card readings that I that I've seen or you know been in the presence of or had like done for me, the fool is often the beginning. It's always the beginning. It's the fool is always the fool is card zero, and it's like. Even if you're going in for a reading where you're like, oh, boo, waha, my life is, you know, going badly. If you get the fool, at least it means there's a new start in some other thing that makes you happy. Exactly. 
So it, and that can be the start of the journey. That can be start of the old yods rising and everything getting a base level reset. You know, capitalism yeah. coming crumbling down for the better use of the fans. Oh God, I have a thought here. Um, I was when I was rewatching the movie, I thought to myself. I remember seeing Cabin in the Woods in theaters when it came out, and I always thought Christian Connolly would go on to be like a huge screen queen after that. Data, you know, Data. Yeah. Why? Why is it this movie was so iconic and so successful, and Hemsworth is the only one that's really made a career out uh, from it, and not really from it? No, yeah, because that was the weird thing because of those delays. Uh, I believe at least one of the Thor movies ended up coming out oh, before yeah. Cabin in the Woods did. Yeah. So it kind of... Uh, yeah, he, that other Chris Hemsworth one, it was the remake of uh, Red Dawn. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so he just, like, it, he his... So it, it's randomly, but, like, but, all of a sudden no. Thor is in this weird indie horror movie, and it doesn't no. change his career at all. It just kind of adds to his rep in only good ways. But what about everybody else? Which is, Fred? yeah... <laughs> <laughs> again, well, it's one of those. Again, it's one of those things. It's like it's a horror movie, so like either they're gonna scoop all the actors, or the all the actors are just gonna continue doing what they do. I, so I guess so. Weird. I just I, I feel like Kristen Connolly had a bigger career out of her after this. I mm-hmm. I was always shocked that like we're eleven years out of the movie now, and I'm very surprised to see that she did that show Zoo with a saw the show about zombie animals that lasted like two seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing from there. Nothing since then though. Yeah. Franz Kranz, too. He was a he was an audience favorite from this movie. I'm surprised that we're not sitting here watching the Franz Kranz Renaissance here in this later era. I yeah. think also the movie was very nuanced in the dichotomy of the characters, like what they were supposed to be and what they were, and them fighting against the manipulations, obviously. But also at the same time, like people still saw them as the stereotypes. I mm-hmm. think when people went in to see this movie, they didn't necessarily like get yeah, the but... entire nuance of it. And with horror, sometimes people just dismiss it as like, oh, the actors aren't good because they're in horror. But this was like a critically acclaimed horror. This wasn't like a sequel. This was something that critics around the world would be like, yo, go see this movie. These cast members, the, the cast were being acclaimed on their performance. That's why I'm like, even in the horror world, I never saw these people making a bigger splash in their career. No, I understand that, but I also don't expect studio execs in charge of this to be able to see the nuance and actually look at it. They might just see the word horror and be like, okay, well, it's not a big budget movie compared to what we usually do. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. There's I mean, a definitely there's a weird back end to these sorts of things where like it could be that no other writers or directors liked or had a use for these characters or the their uh publicists or agents didn't feel that they were like they okay we've done horror move on do something better with your life like it could be something like that there's who knows what the back end the secret backdoor hollywood aspect of these things could be because sometimes we see something it gets critical acclaim it's amazing the fans love it and we never hear anything about the project or the cast ever again yeah, that's a fair point. Like you, you do hear a lot of these hyped up projects that nothing ever comes up to, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But regardless, like every single actor in this movie hit the home run. Like, and what I absolutely loved the uh, when they basically hit the button and all of the people manipulating them start getting murdered. It's just very like satisfying to be like you're okay to sacrifice someone else. Mm-hmm. Because it's yeah. for the sake of the world, but when it comes to you, it's like yeah. No, no, I, I totally understand that. And um, 
I, I did, it is very satisfying. And although there are a few things I always wondered, my first thought is why would you have the cabin be a trap door away from the entire facility? To release the monsters closer? <laughs> yeah, well, but also that, again, that adds to the other the other things that like if, if we want to go and, and get real nitpicky about things, it's like okay, so we have the American branch with the cabin. Possibly that's what's always there. The facility underneath the cabin. Though we do know the elevators do move left and right, so it could be farther or lower. Yeah, it's basically it a walk elevator. So. Exactly. Um, but then, is there a pit to the old gods in all the other headquarters as well? Is the old gods just in the center Earth, and that's just a really deep hole? That's kind of what I figured. I figured the I figured the old gods were literally like the Earth's core. Exactly. So then, can you go from the the plat the the sacrifice platform at the end of this movie and go to the Japanese one? <laughs> Just by walking through, through, is there just like back access tunnels with like the uh, the Austin Power style like little so, carts between the areas? So what you're saying is you're wondering if they dug a dug a hole all the way to China? Uh, pretty much, yeah. Like here, maybe this is the thing. Maybe those like the the Tibetan monk tunnels. Maybe they're in on it. They're the guys digging all the little holes, and they've got little go karts ripping around, just taking yeah. taking the piss. Well, Who I'm knows? You, were, you remember when you were a kid? You're like, I'm gonna dig a hole to China, like that old thing when you're yeah. A kid. I mean, Kaylee, you're from Australia, so the geography was probably different. I don't know if it, for you guys it was like dig a hole to America or something like that. No, it's dig a hole to China still. You kids did not understand your geography of the planet then. No, their their no, hole we, is just wait. less deep. You just you just go more like in a in a, wait, like a horizontal line. We're just born being able to swim real good. There you go. <laughs> That's <laughs> fair. You know what? <laughs> I I imagine, but okay. On this topic, what if is there customs between each country? In this underground system of holes. <laughs> the ocean. There's NSA checkpoints. Are you entering Japanese territory? You have to have your passport with you. Yeah, because if you go, if you you leave, you leave this, you leave the facility. It's like I'm going for a coffee run. You get deported. You're like, fuck! I gotta restart the whole damn thing. <laughs> oh my god. The series of tubes. We call it the internet. <laughs> uh, anybody listening who's under the age of 21 probably doesn't get that reference. <laughs> oh, my God. Are uh, we old? Sorry? Are we old? Yes, I mean, we're fucking old. Speak for yourself. Everybody in this conversation is old. I have the heart of a child. I keep it in a jar. It reminds me of the good old times when I didn't kill that child. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Back when you were at the training of your old professor, Baba Yaga. Bye bye. Look, Granny Bones. She's a lovely lady. She's got a lot of extra fingers. I just get snacky sometimes. Kids have good bits. I'm just no wait. Let's not go with that. That's that could be taken wildly out of context. Remove that from this fucking podcast. Oh my god. <laughs> you know what? It, it it was very funny, so it's not being removed. But I will add a disclaimer. But you do not actually capture and kill children, and you never actually trained under Baba Yaga. Allegedly. Mm. We cannot confirm or deny it's... anything on this podcast other than I am uncontrollable when it comes to a comedy bit. I will take it too far and then I get in trouble and that's how the fire started. <laughs> Anyways. Um, <laughs> Tavern in the Woods is a movie that came out in 2011. It's about killing a bunch of teenagers and uh, nothing bad happens to anybody important, I swear. What? Also, also, also <laughs> coffee, mug, coffee mug bongs are hilarious and a utilitarian weapon that can be used to prevent the apocalypse and everyone should own one for health, uh, home defense. <laughs> uh, actually, on that note about the coffee, uh, the coffee mug bong, so 
Do you know how long it took for that to become a real item that you could buy? How it long? It took like fucking years before they actually started selling that thing. Like like a few years ago, like 2020, 2019 is when they finally started selling that thing as a uh, official bong. I wonder if it was more, if it was like because like the popularity of the movie and like it just took too long or somebody was just like, man, you know what? That was actually a hilarious idea. Why don't we have one of those? I actually, okay. So I remember the movie came out. I was looking online. I was trying to see if I could buy uh, that bong, right? Mm-hmm. And there's people making, like, DIY versions of it. There's people making, like, oh, yeah, we got our own version of the bar from Coward of the Woods. But um, it wasn't until, like, 2019 that some company finally went out and said, no, fuck it. That movie has been uh, a hit, and then they've been wanting this thing for years. And they made a proper, effective, uh, proper-to-the-movie uh, coffee mug ball, right? Oh, nice. To sell. It's retractable and everything. Um, it's uh, I, I, I know this because I looked it up before we did this podcast because I started thinking about how <laughs> fun it would be to have that ball. <laughs> Now the so, question is, how many did you order? Uh, currently none because I'm a film worker and there's a uh, there's a uh, one of two strikes still happening. <laughs> so, uh, SAG SAG after strong, um, and WGA is strong, but they've already got what they what they're asking. For. Hell yeah, we did. Let's <laughs> go. Oh yeah. Oh, I'm so happy about that. But they expect just starvation, but not solidarity. <laughs> Little did they know, we're good for both. Um, I haven't eaten in months. <laughs> <laughs> so, going back to Cabin in the Woods here. Yep. Uh, I mean, we're not really ever going away from it, but this is just how this show works. So, going with Cabin in the Woods here. One scene in particular that I found is very prominent to show the kind of t- changes that we were making is uh, probably one of my favorite scenes in the movie, um, Truth or Dare. Remember that mm. one? Yes. Yep. Truth or dare, I dare you to make out with that moose. It's a wolf. It's very clearly a wolf, dude. <laughs> like, but that whole bit there, we start seeing like the actual transitions, and I think mm. that's really like, the first real scene where you're kind of getting this whole moment of like, I like I I like to call it like the Breakfast Club moment. It kind of gives you like this moment where it's not not necessarily people confessing, but the idea that you have all these people now, and this is like the representation of who your characters are now going forward. You know what I mean? Yeah, and well, it's also I believe the the first scene where you've got the full costume swap because the previous scene to that is they go they they arrive they have the mirror scene they go swimming and then we do a facility uh, scene and we jump back to this and all of a sudden everyone is is in their archetype outfit yeah. they're in their personality. Uh, Kurt's wearing his Letterman jacket. Um, uh, Jules is. Wearing her booty shorts. Holden's got glasses and a flannel all of a sudden. Marty yeah. hasn't changed because Marty is just consistent because he's a good lad. Ain't um, aware of how weird all this is, too. Yeah. But that's what I'm saying. Those, like, so very similar scenes to that would be like, uh, I, I said Breakfast Club, but actually a better example for a lot of people listening would probably actually be uh, X-Men First Class. The scene where they're all sitting there coming up with their new uh, superhero names, stuff like that. But that's like yeah. a representation of like these are your characters going forward. What I love about Cabin in the Woods is we got two of these. We got a full introduction at the beginning of who these people were, and we basically got a second introductory scene out of who these characters are going to be from this whole fire pit scene. Uh, obviously, gravitating with that whole making out with the wolf, like you said, Dylan, the booty shorts on booty shorts on her, which I'm pretty sure were straight up Daisy Dukes. They were, yes, yeah, they were Daisy Dukes, yeah, and so they were made for walking. <laughs> they were they were it was a character choice to hammer home a point i promise there was no other intention i swear and that point was chris hemsworth <laughs> I, I think the point was bud well hammer home the point chris hemsworth said it's a point hammer home chris hemsworth yes 
that is funny. I didn't yeah. understand. Did I just mansplain that? I just mansplained that. You 100% took a very long walk to say, haha, penis joke. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to know how far I'll walk to make a penis joke. You don't know, I don't know how far you'll walk for penis? Is that what I'm hearing? Sorry, you cut out? <laughs> No, 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 you're not right. 100% correct. I live with him. Ah, good. Um, Yes. Well, and then like, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a full second introductory scene where you get almost a a 180 of everybody's character, which is super cool. Yeah. I I do want to say, so this was Drew Goddard's first movie. This is his first movie he ever directed. Oh, shit. Yeah. And uh, the only other movie he's directed was Bad Times at the El Royal. What happened? Do you think? Because he was he was uh, lined up for so many different movies between Cabin in the Woods and then he also ran Daredevil for the first uh, for and then quit after like two episodes, I think. Yeah, no, you're right. Uh, yeah, he's a, he's got all executive producer roles on a lot of big projects. To be fair, uh, yeah, he it? also directed a lot of uh, The Good Place. Yeah, he did. I love that show so much. I love The Good Place. So it's basically just my my lesson in in psychology and theology and everything <laughs> they uh, had a literal trolley problem it was amazing no that was fantastic um i it could be very well that like he directs because from what i what i what i know about el royale and what i know about cabin and woods when he directs he's directing passion projects for things that he really wants and they're and with those two, they're almost always like homages to other film greats. I mean, bad, bad, Royal, bad Times of the El Royal was essentially a uh, big love letter to Tarantino. It exactly. It was it was one to one a big Tarantino movie, and I think actually let's double check here. Is Hemsworth the only returning character in that? Or, uh, I believe he is. I think he is. Yeah. Yeah, he is. Yeah, never mind. I was gonna say he's got a bit, a bit of the old squad back, but he's only got the one. But still, again, it's just like. I mean, you could almost say that he likes to bring certain people back and have them play entirely against type, which is not untrue. I mean, you can say that, but he has two movies. It's true. <laughs> like, again, this is this is where the argument completely falls apart. It's like he's got he doesn't have a pattern to look at yet. Like no, but two is still similar. But like he, it seems like when he when he gets his hands into something that he's very passionate about, and he gets that a chance to be full control, motherfucker hits at home both times. <laughs> As it turns Both out. Both times. I Both agree times. completely. And yeah. uh, what are you doing in good place as well? Um, so aspects about this movie too. We were talking about the practical effects earlier with this. Mm. And you are right. This movie takes a heavy, heavy emphasis on practical effects. And uh, I, I, I'm a big fan of that, obviously. I kind of want to dive into that a little bit. What were some of your favorite actual practical effects you saw in this movie? Obviously, the, obviously the purge scene. One of the most like satisfying moments in a horror movie that system purge mm-hmm. but that scene alone has so many you know that so many different examples the cubes that we were talking about earlier um what are some of your part yeah what are some of your favorite practical effects in this movie makeup wise or otherwise i it, it's got to be the mermaid scene it's got to yeah. be the mermaid scene because that the, the 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 kit is uh inventive and interesting <laughs> the blood spout is fucking hilarious the fact that it just the way it crawls out of the out of the smoke like You've got all those, which are super fun. The, um, uh, the even just down to the set dressing, the basement, like how good it looks, how claustrophobic it feels. Like you know that is just a cramped, shitty room. Like, yeah. That and then like you got the 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 cavalcade, the carnival reveal of like the the shot after shot of people just coming out of the elevator, and they're all different, entirely different makeups, different prosthetics. 
Even the fucking, the werewolf looks good. And that's the most rubber rasped werewolf I've seen in ages. And it's just a good classic werewolf design. Yeah. That's fun. It's just, they're, they're fun prosthetics more than anything wow. else. I think my favorite was, uh, was Fornicus, Lord of Bondage. <laughs> oh, <laughs> the elf. Right. Yeah. Yeah, the Hellraiser guy. That right, they the actually the buzzsaws in his head and everything. Yeah, in the credits, actually... he is Fornicus, Lord of Bondage. Yep. Yeah, I forgot they actually uh, they credited a bunch of the the monsters. I personally loved the unicorn because the unicorn it just looked hilarious. like a domestic, like a, a majestic unicorn that stabs people. Very yeah. Legends of Tomorrow. Yeah. It's just you know what? We're gonna put a horn on a horse and we're gonna let it go horse crazy, and it's gonna be great. <laughs> Oh my god! I, was that a real horse? Or was that CGI? That was I a real know. horse, oh. I believe. Could you might imagine have... being on set the day of that fucking system purge? The animal wrangling on top of the makeup, on top of the practical effects, on top oh, of the costumes, nuts. on top of the blood, on top of the CGI. Well, here's the thing, sir. We need to find the horse wrangler. She's <laughs> where? Where is she? Where is she? We're about to shoot the scene. Uh, she has uh, been doused and is currently being rinsed off. There is too much blood and all the t- the piping exploded. <laughs> I when I rewatched when I rewatched this movie because like they do the the big purge scene and the, the fight happens and then there's that that snap cut afterwards and it's just the big hall covered in gore and like bits raining from the ceiling. All I could do is I don't know off the top of my head how much of that gore was practical versus vis effects, but I have been on a set where we had that amount of gore and the smell immediately returned to my nostrils. And oh my God, if that room smelled nearly half as bad as the autopsy room in the first season of Altered Carbon, Uh, I feel so bad for that cast and crew. Oh my God. (laughs) Uh, I feel like that movie is very much a, they were on incognito incognito mode on the internet when they did their research. (laughs) It's like, how much blood is too much blood? And then somebody watched a bunch of anime. They're like, we could have more blood. That's fine. <laughs> I swear I'm, I'm not a psychopath. I just work in film. This is for research. Honest. I mean, Honest. all three of us are writers. I'm sure our search history would uh, flag a few CIA pages. <laughs> Look, I have a very, I'm on a first name basis with my NSA agent. He's really chill. Um, he does give me a heads up when things I'm looking up are a little too close to home. <laughs> Do you send him Christmas cards? I hope you send him Christmas cards. I give him an invite to the, the premiere of most things. <laughs> <laughs> see, <I'm, laughs> see, Bill, I'm not crazy. It's totally fine. My therapist agrees. It's okay. <laughs> it's creative, okay? It's, it's creative. You know, one reference they made in this movie, Caleb brought it up earlier, but one reference they made in this movie that I, uh, that I really love because it's not really a character you see much in horror movies anymore is uh, they refer to him as the Harbinger, Mordecai, mm-hmm. right? And Kill is pointing out, he's like in Pet Cemetery, you know, oh, you don't want to go up there and don't, you know, sometimes that is better. Like that whole guy who always warns you not to do the thing you're going to go do and you're going to go do it anyway because he's old and weird. Mm-hmm. And they see, and what I love is that this movie brought it back and I still, like, Pet Cemetery, the remake obviously came out and we had him in there, but it's not really a character you get to see much in horror movies anymore and well, the other thing about in the Woods is that it kind of brought back some of these, like, very old-school classic horror mentalities, even if it was to flip it on its head. But at this point, like, Saw and Paranormal Activity were basically the realm of horror for the previous, like, eight years, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, having this movie come in and just, like, throw you, it throws so many classic horror things in your face, 
something's bound to stick. Yeah. And uh, that's one thing, the Harbinger, though. I was really hoping that that would actually create that character existing more and more in horror movies again. It's just, it's a nice piece of expository character, uh, character type that never gets old. And I've only seen South Park doing it for the last, like, 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, it, it, they kind of make the point itself in the movie is why you don't do Harbingers anymore. It's because it's what person in their right mind would have that show up and be like, it's cursed. Also, I'm going to eat your skin if you go up there. And like, you know what? Bet I'm going. Because they even point out in the movie, it's like, why do we have this guy? Well, it's a classic. We have to have the guy there. Because if it doesn't, and if they, if they ignore the rules then they get punished for it. So I think in most, I'm trying to think of a better, a good example off the top of my head. It's not coming to me, but they have changed the harbinger from being straight up a dude who says, this is bad. Don't do it to being environmental cues or being, Oh, there's a legend or there's the harbinger has kind of evolved into a less direct point because Mordecai ends up and they make fun of him for it being a bit too direct. And anybody who is not, addled by crazy cia drugs would not agree to what he's saying that's a fair point yeah and like, <laughs> that's true you are right in, in more modern times that sort of co- that sort of expository character has been replaced by uh, a street preacher or an environmental activist who's telling you what's going to happen which is going to you know what i mean like yeah or like the classic saying of uh you know when it comes to climate change the beginning of every at the beginning of every disaster movie a scientist is ignored Yep, pretty much. Yeah, it's like I guess you, just, you know that, that's okay. That's right. I never really thought about that. How that's actually kind of been translated to a different character type. Yeah, but it, there's always this. Well, not always. There's usually a harbinger of some kind in most yeah. films. He's yeah. just not usually as charismatic and charming as Mordecai. This <laughs> is a really good movie out there following that character specifically. The Harbinger and all of the kids who didn't listen. <laughs> I, I I would I, again. There's a lot of this movie has so many potentials for like I want to I don't want a sequel or anything but like little webisodes of inside that facility or other aspects of this world this system things would be really interesting both from a horror aspect and the comedy aspect it's like okay does Mordecai live in that gas station is he always there does he have to go into town and interact with more people does the facility send him goods and services or does he have to DoorDash things and then is that weird to his fucking delivery guy like. Well- and this is it, also being planned. Is he only ever put there when he needs to be? Exactly. If if not, like, is he just like, does he live in a trailer out back and he's just like, you know, doing parcheesi by himself? Like, what's he? What's what's a day in the life of Mordecai when he's not threatening right. children? Is he one of the original virgins, and that's why he keeps doing it? <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Damn, Kayla, you didn't have to kill the man. <laughs> uh, uh, no, the virgin gets to live some of the time. The Michael what? Myers bobblehead on Kevin's desk is agreeing with me, so I know it's correct. <laughs> but what kind of life is it really? <laughs> right? Oh, oh man. no! I mean, I mean maybe... we actually we actually watched a movie a while ago about uh uh about a woman with this like power to like talk to ghosts called Extraordinary. It's a really good movie, but there's a bit in there though, and it's just kind of like that where the whole thing is that she's about to get dragged to hell to get raped by demons and all that. And this guy's like, what can I do? Well, I'm a bunch of sacrifice, so if you have sex with me right now, then I won't be able to go into hell. And so she's slowly getting dragged to hell while he's quickly trying to have sex with her. And they're like in their 50s and their 60s or something. <laughs> <laughs> it's played for comedy, right? Because it's a, it's, a, it's a horror comedy. Okay, good. Because yeah, yeah. that, yeah, yeah. that could be very fucked up. <laughs> it's, it's consensual. Okay, good. <laughs> it's actually her idea. 
okay, the stuff perfect. with his ghost of an ex-wife that blends a little weird. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a great movie though. If you like Will Forte and like Irish comedy, I can't stress mm. it enough. Fair. Yep, it's it's basically a, a a guy who needs to write another hit single, so he tries to do another virgin sacrifice. <laughs> And he basically used all of his riches in LA to buy a castle in Ireland. That okay, that actually sounds pretty fucking funny. Yeah. Like oh. you, you have a virgin sacrifice floating off the air, but if they touch her, she'll explode. So they have to somehow move this floating virgin sacrifice to the castle. Oh my god. Uh, but uh Dylan, uh thank you so much for coming here. That's actually our time for today. Um is there anything you'd like to say? Anything you want to pitch or anything you wanna sell? Sell? Uh, no. Legally, I can't because, well, uh, NDAs are a pain in the ass. But what I will say, Cabin in the Woods, phenomenal, phenomenal uh, fun film. If you haven't watched it, please go check it out. If you want more things like that, honestly, check out uh, a good SCP or the Magnus Archives or things like in that realm where it's these big weird facilities that are a little too silly but also very very dark. Fun stuff like that that just keeps building imaginative horror and taking what we love and doing something weird with it. Always go for those things because you know what? what? Fuck it. It could be great. It might be dumb but that's half the fun of this stuff. That's a really good way to go out on. Uh... Alright. For anybody listening, uh, we have links in our description to buy Cabin of the Woods on Blu-ray, DVD. Uh, we got some merch there, some flyers, or not flyers, some posters. Uh, yeah. Dylan, Kill, you got anything left? Thank you so much, Dylan. It's been a delightful conversation. Well, thanks for having me. I will see you guys in the future. Yeah. <laughs>